Warriors, welcome to another epic episode of the Warrior Podcast. We have an exciting episode ahead as we venture into the topics of, you know, what it takes to operate a digital business online and how to evaluate what your website is actually worth. I think one of the biggest issues for internet marketers today is recognizing what their online business is worth and secondly, how to actually make money online in, in the buying and reselling space of, you know, websites, domains as well. Um, so with that being said, you know, I have a very, very special guest with me uh, today, all the way from empireflippers.com, Justin Cook. Uh, now, Justin is one of the biggest and brightest minds in the digital business space, uh, with over $26 million worth of sales under his belt at Empire Flippers. I'm excited to say that, you know, we get to pick his brain apart and, you know, between, you know, him going between, you know, the US, Thailand, Vietnam and the Philippines, you know, he's basically living the digital lifestyle that, you know, we've all dreamed of at one point. And it's, you know, he, look, Justin's basically living proof that it's possible, right? So, yeah. So well, welcome, Justin. How you going, buddy? Good, man, Marcus. Thanks so much for having me on the show. <laughs> really, really happy to have you on board, man. Um, so actually, Justin, where are you at the moment? I'm in Saigon, Vietnam right now. I actually have a, um, an apartment here and I'm spend most of my time here. I just got back from a yep. trip to Phuket, Thailand with our team. We do these every three to four months or so. And we bring about a dozen of us together uh, for a month in kind of an exotic location. And we get to work together. Like our team is distributed, meaning, you know, they work. Some yep. of them are in Colombia, some are in the U.S., some of them are in Southeast Asia. And three times a year or so, we just kind of get everyone together because we don't have an office. It kind of gives us a chance to work together, get to know each other, and down some beers. Oh, dude, that's epic. See, wait, hang on. I just want to clarify. You guys don't have an office. No office, man. No office. I'm in my apartment right now. Sometimes we'll rent space. So, like, for yep. this this tip uh, trip in Phuket, we – there's like this 10 bedroom, three apartment floor we basically took over in this place. So that, that was our office for the month. But we also lived there and ate there and worked there. So um, yeah, we, we, um, we've we rented offices in Manila uh, for brief periods of time when we had some, some of our team there training. My business partner is based out of Manila. Um, so we will sometimes run offices. It's normally the, uh, what are those like temporary office, Regis? We'll do like a Regis office or something, but yeah, we're we're non office based. I'm I'm not a fan myself. I don't love offices. I do coffee shops and like hotel bars and restaurants sometimes, but I'm not a not an office guy. <laughs> Living like a true warrior, buddy. Um, awesome, man. I think like one of the coolest things that I like about the Empire Flippers team is you know you guys are based all over. Um, you know you have some of the coolest people working in your team too. And you know I remember going through like uh, your about page and, and seeing James Howitt's beard. You know giving Rand Fiskin a good run for his money um you know i had a conversation with uh with tim about that who's uh i had a warrior at the moment and, and he's yeah we, we had a good cracker of a laugh over that one yeah james's <laughs> james's beard is legendary i have to say no he's a he's a great dude i think he's the only bearded guy on the team actually no no, no alex alex grown out a beard uh, too so we got a couple of them but they're definitely the underdogs in the crew right now <laughs> all right man well look um yeah, I guess like today, I, I really wanted to sort of pick your brain and um, go through, I guess, you know, obviously you guys, like you said, you don't have an office. That's that's pretty incredible to me. Like, you know, to operate a, a fully functional business that's $26 million worth of sales without an office, you know, that that's that's kind of a big deal. So, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to have you on board and uh, getting to pick your brain. Um, so, you know, I was, I was actually going to ask you as my very first question, where you guys are running from, you know, as, as establishing a home, but, you know, I guess... 
that kind of voids that question real quick, doesn't it? So, I mean, what's what's the team like for you guys? Because um, I know, know the way that Empire Flippers work, you guys are a buying and, and selling marketplace for websites, digital businesses online. When you first started, did you guys bring someone on board because you needed them at the time? Or, or did you guys actually have like a mapped out to-do list and then, you know, worked out to, to hire the right people on, to bring on board? Yeah, so Joe and I, you know, it was just us to start. Now we had run an outsourcing company previously and we've got a little bit of history there. So we had a team in the Philippines helping us, but you know, at some point we, you know, we had a couple of friends and they were part of a group called the Tropical MBA. And we were talking about this before we got on the show. They run a, a you know, online community called the Dynamite Circle, um, and yep. they had started hiring these like apprentices, right? And they were paying them a thousand bucks or fifteen hundred bucks a month to come halfway around the world and work out of the Philippines with them and kind of like help them grow their business. And they're pretty small this time. And Joe and I were like, I don't know what kind of schmucks would come halfway around the world for 1500 bucks a month um, to work out of some crazy little place in the Philippines. Who in, the, who in their right mind would do that? So we had this kind of preconceived notion about that. And then we, we went up to uh, Puerto Galera in the Philippines and met one of their new hires. Yeah. And this dude was sharp, man. He was like on point, a good marketer, just a good, you know, a young kind of like excited guy working on their team. And we we're like, wow, maybe this isn't such a crazy idea. Maybe you can actually get some good people. So we decided to follow their model and set up an apprentice program. So instead of just, you know, straight hire, we said, look, we're going to bring people into this kind of lifestyle. And we were in the Philippines at the time traveling in Southeast Asia quite a bit. And we loved what we're doing. Like, it's amazing. And we said, look, how can we get more people involved? Um, we'll get them to come over here, uh, work with us, help us grow our business, but also introduce them to this thing that we love. And so we, you know, basically reached out to our audience and said, look, would anyone like to do this? And the response was overwhelming. So we got a ton of people applying. Now, this was good for us for a couple of reasons. Number one, we were able to like introduce them to this thing and save money in the process. I mean, I think to start, we were only paying, we paid a room and board, and then we also gave them like a thousand bucks a month. So it was relatively cheap for us to get someone on board. Um, now, eventually we had to raise their pay after the six month apprenticeship. Um, but it's a way to kind of like get them started on the cheap because they don't know much when they start. So, yeah. you know, we have to do a lot of training and put a lot of time in. Part of the the other side of the apprenticeship is that we have to, you know, we're very transparent, both like externally with our customers, but also internally. So we're like, look, we're going to show you the business. We're like, there's nothing, we're not hiding stuff behind the curtain. Like this is, you're going to see everything. You're going to see how Joe and I interact and how we work together. And so, you know, we started that apprenticeship and we started with one and now we've got, um, through that apprentice program, we've got uh, right around a dozen people uh, that we've brought on board and they're currently working for us. So Wow, that's imp- Whereabouts are they based? Well, uh, we, we were just all in Phuket, Thailand, oh, nice. days ago. But, you know, some of them are in Colombia. Uh, another one is in Brazil. Got a couple of guys here in Saigon with me. Uh, one person in Manila. So kind of all over. And, you know, uh, originally when we were starting out, it was just a couple of us. We were all in Southeast Asia, and Joe and I were really adamant about bringing them out and having them stay close to us, right, so that we could easily work together. There was a cheap flight if you don't want to go to Manila, Saigon, or whatever. But as we've grown and, you know, people are married and, and people have different travel interests, and so we've kind of opened it up a little bit, and we have 
people living and working all over now. Uh, okay, so I mean, with that being said, like, how have you actually found uh, operating from abroad uh, with managing all of the you know apprentices overseas? Like you mentioned, they come from like Colombia, Brazil, uh, you know, Manila as well. Did did you sort of um, pull them into a, a single pool and, and manage them like there and then, like physically for the for the period, or or were you just managing from abroad with with that? Yeah, no, we had to bring them over, so that was an absolute requirement. So most of them are American. We've got. Uh, a Kiwi, <laughs> we've got oh, nice. um, a British guy. So we've got a couple of other people. Most of them are American, uh, but we brought them over to Southeast Asia to work with us directly first. So uh, to start, it was in the Philippines, and more recently it's been in Saigon, Vietnam. But we, we will have them work with us closely for normally about six months at least. Um, and then they can kind of branch out a little bit. We ask them to stay around Southeast Asia, and then they can, you know, after a year, they can go a little further out. But I don't think we would have done it without having them come out. I mean, there's, you know, our business is not like, it's not a traditional business in that there are a ton of companies out there doing it and that the job roles are well-defined. So because of that, we need them close because there's a lot to learn about our business. It's not like there are a lot of, you know, people out there doing what we do. Um, so we don't have this huge pool of experienced people to hire from, we've got to train them from scratch. So having them close yeah. just makes it a lot easier uh, to get that done. Yeah, I actually really admire the uh, the business model that you guys take. It's actually really similar to uh, a good friend of mine, Dennis Yu from Blitzmetrics uh, System of Learn, Do and Teach. Hmm. Um, so it's really good to see that that it stretches beyond just you know what Dennis does in the social amplification side of things uh, with Blitzmetrics and Facebook, um, and that it can actually be applied in, in other business areas online as well. So it's 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 amazing to see that it's performing well. Well, one one of the things Joe and I have gone back and forth on is like you know, and we we've asked ourselves this. Like if we had an office, if we just buckled down, went to the U.S., which we don't want to do for lifestyle reasons, yep. a whole bunch of reasons. We just said, yeah. like, let's just get an office in Austin. We have friends that are there that have basically done this and buckle down for a couple of years and put everyone in a room and get some stuff done. Like, are we hurting our business by not doing that? And then, you know, we took a step back and we said, look, you know, that's the wrong question to ask. Like, it, it, it's it's what kind of business do we want to build, right? And, yeah. and like, we actually have saying that. I'm not working for someone else. I can't pass the yeah. buck on this one. Like, the business we build is determined by us. So why not build the kind of business that we want? I mean, it's not just what's best for the business. It's what we want out of the business and what we want the business to be. And so we want the business to be a team of remote people that are able to bring themselves together for the good of the business and, and and that's that's what we want so that's the type of business we're building okay and like i noticed with empire flippers like i just went through the actual uh, homepage, and you guys have got a whole bunch of listings you know surrounding you know amazon fbas a couple of private blog networks um you know a couple of sports-based websites as well you know what are some of the hottest trends that you're sort of noticing in the actual marketplace as far as you know buying and reselling or even just selling websites at the moment. Yeah, well, what's interesting about you know us helping people buy and sell websites and online businesses is that we really lag the market. So we're not bleeding edge. We're kind of on the tail end. And the reason is is because if you start a business, it's you know you're, it's gonna take a couple of years to kind of build it, make it profitable, scale it, and then eventually sell it. So you know a couple of years ago, two, three, four years ago, everyone was kind of starting FBA. Right, and they were kind of getting started in FBA and you know the the, the amazing selling machine and like all these. Um, courses were coming out and like it was getting really popular. We saw that coming, but we didn't actually sell our first FBA business until I think it was, I think it was December 2000. No, maybe it was like, yeah, December 2016. 
No, no. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 no, maybe it was December 2015. We had our first listing, <laughs> and we started selling in 2016. That's right. So December 2015, we got our first listing on the marketplace, and 2016 we started selling. So that's way behind when Amazon FBA first started taking off. Um, and that's because it took a few years for them to build their business. So I mean, I'd tell you right now, in terms of the businesses that are, we're seeing a lot of our Amazon FBA. We've listed a few Amazon merch businesses. Uh, we continue to see um, some service-based businesses, uh, a lot of Amazon Associates uh, websites. We still see the AdSense yep. sites, which is kind of where we originally came from, um, and then other just types of affiliate sites. So uh, dropshipping sites, we see a lot of five-figure and like low six-figure dropshipping sites. Not a lot of bigger dropshipping sites, but definitely on the you know five like forty thousand to two hundred fifty thousand dollar range, we'll see quite a bit of quite a bit of those as well. Okay, yeah, I mean, with I guess the Amazon uh, fulfillment, well, fulfill FBA sites, basically. Um, I mean, I haven't really ever seen many of them pop up until recently, actually. That there seems to be a significant boom of them coming about. Um, even with like the the classic Amazon affiliates, um, you know, there's there's been a whole bunch of software out there that uh, you know is auto generating these websites, and to some degree, you know, these websites have some form of value, but I, I tend to find that. Um, it's it it doesn't make too much sense when there's no traffic to these sites as well yeah um that's just from you know personal observation on, on some of them um but you know like i said you know you guys are you know running 26 million dollars worth of you know websites already through your platform through your marketplace um you know and and the first million i mean that would have been a milestone in itself like i i, I think reaching a first million in i guess business sales is 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 quite impressive um, you know, everybody's trying to trying to get, dig into that sort of market. Um, now, I just wanted to flip things over a little bit because I know for a fact that you are a man after my own heart when you talk about sales funnels, when you talk about automation, when you talk about all these wonderful things about, you know, bringing, you know, the, the models of marketing 2017 to life. Um, and I think that this year there, there is a giant push on anything related to automation um, and artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, I remember Facebook just had an instance where they've just had to kill, you know, two of their bots basically because they're uh, creating their own English language yeah, real that. that nobody, nobody can understand. Right. It's, and, you know this this giant string of making things faster, um, and it's 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 been fun I think for a, a lot of these businesses to to try to get a bot to you know react human without being too human. Um, so with with Empire Flippers and and I guess the way that you guys are running your model as well, um, have you found to some degree like a self service uh, like system? is starting to take over, I, I guess, as a better experience to dealing with a specialist or do you guys still you know, feel like a specialist is, is still the best method of um, user satisfaction? Yeah, that's interesting. So in this industry, it kind of went from tech and automation, which would be a business like Flippa, right? So yep. they were kind of like earlier than us and you know, they were a, a marketplace, a, a, effectively an auction house for listing and selling websites and online businesses. and. And the problem with that is people are selling like the larger businesses, let's say five, six, and seven figure businesses, aren't yeah. as comfortable just using the platform itself. They want someone to talk to, they want someone to kind of work through the details with. And 
And that was something we had to actually change to um, and like head more towards is the higher touch, the white glove service is what we call it, um, because our customers were demanding it. So, so yeah, I don't know. We use a lot of automation in terms of like we have a HubSpot, for example. We have an enterprise level HubSpot, which is ridiculously expensive, by the way. Um, but we use the hell out of that um, in terms of like making sure we're tagging the correct prospects and moving them along the funnel and using their deals and and it's really really helpful for us um, both on the sales and the marketing side but in terms of like touching customers through bots or tr you know using automations like that um, we found that less effective in fact even when we use macros from our customer service agents we have um, uh, just under a dozen people in the Philippines that work for us and, and help with some of the customer service stuff. Um, even the macros can be a little alarming or disturbing to customers. And so we try to use those sparingly and we have a, you know, a tier two staff that kind of like, you know, does the more white glove touch. So I don't, I don't see it heading uh, towards that. I see more kind of human interaction, more white glove service, more connections with people, especially on the larger businesses. So uh, maybe automation on the much smaller ones, so under 20,000 or so in terms of valuations, but, on, and, and Flippa, I think does a really good job in that space. Um, but when you're talking about five, six, larger five, six and seven figure businesses, um, I don't see that the, the touch factor going away anytime soon. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny that you mentioned flipper.com because uh, one of my friends, um actually works there. <laughs> and there's the, you know it's always fun to sort of see what what the market is as far as buying and selling you know domains and businesses are um but the one thing that, that really stuck out to me between you guys is you guys like empire flippers tends to hold a lot of anonymity before someone makes a deposit yeah. on an actual business yep. um so i was actually really curious what the actual mentality is behind that because you know you go on flipper.com and and it's variable right they've they've got uh you know this is you know, mywebsite.com or mywebsite.ca and whatnot, they actually list it out and then there's only some that are anonymous. So, um, you know, taking on board a, a completely anonymized, uh, you know, marketplace and listings that only give out, you know, specific data like, you know, what's the domain authority from Moz or what's the page views, what how much revenue is it generating? Um, you know, I just wanted to see what the mentality is behind keeping everything anonymous um, up front. Yeah, so when we were just starting out, we kind of built our own sites and they were making a little bit of money and we were selling them on Flippa. Um, we realized there were people that were creating courses and on the word form, actually, uh, they, were, <laughs> they were creating courses on like, here's how you find profitable businesses go to empire flippers on flippa look at the, the websites they're selling look at the domain names copy those and create the sites there were courses like being sold and given away on that and and so every time we you know as we got more popular every time we were doing a new listing on flippa we ended up like a, the buyer would end up with like a dozen copycats after the fact which adds pressure and adds competition and can be problematic and so we had buyers actually ask us look can you sell to us privately or directly without even telling us the URL, without even telling us the niche, we'll just buy it from you. We had multiple buyer sales of this, which we thought was crazy, but from their perspective, it made sense. Look, we we know we want these cash flowing websites. We don't even care what the domain name is. And these are, you know, like four figure and low five figure sites. And we said, Oh my God, okay, well, I guess we'll try that out. Yeah. And so we did that and and it worked well. As we started doing bigger businesses, that I mean, like the ones that buy $120,000 business completely slide unseen. So we changed the process and we do this very differently than any competitors that, that we know of where we charge a um, refundable deposit. So for example, it's a $100,000 website for sale 
Uh, we charge a prospective buyer $5,000 refundable deposit. And our reasoning behind this is, um, look, I mean, we could just have them sign a, a, a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA, yep. right? And, and a lot of places do that digitally. And you go and you put your little stamp there and your initials and it's good to go. And then they show you the business. Well, our thought process is like, look, anyone can sign an NDA. And when you're dealing with an American national living in Hong Kong, selling to an Australian living in Lisbon, like, how are you going to enforce that NDA? In what jurisdiction? It's ridiculous. It's just not going to happen. So rather than using an NDA, why don't we charge something that's tangible? Like we actually charge them money on their credit card or have them wire us the money directly. And a couple of things. I mean, you've got to have $5,000 available, right? So the type of person that's have $5,000 available on a credit card or, or wire um, knocks out a bunch of people that have zero money available, right? So yeah. they're out of the picture. They can't do it. So that's it's helpful from that perspective. But it's also, I think, a bigger step than signing a uh, non-enforceable NDA. And so we ran with the deposit model, and it's been super effective. Now, at any one time, we have multiple deposits. We give it back at any time for any reason. In fact, if you ultimately buy the business or the website, we refund the the credit card deposit and require a wire from you. So, you know, we're not keeping deposits. We're not doing any of that. And, and, you know, buyers understand, especially the first time, they're maybe a little hesitant to do that. They're like, mm, I don't know about this. Um, but once they've done it a couple of times, they get into the swing of things and they're good with it. Sellers love it too. And it's funny, this is this is really funny, Marcus. So like yeah. sellers love the fact that we charge a deposit because they're like, good, I can protect my niche and there'll be less competition. And they think we do it for their benefit. But the truth is, it's not for the seller's benefit. I'm glad that they find value in it, but it's, it's for the buyer. I mean, most of the businesses we list sell. So having a deposit process in place so we don't get a dozen or two dozen or three dozen copycats protects the end buyer, right? So like we're actually looking to protect the buyer. It's to their benefit, even though sellers think it's theirs. Okay. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty interesting when when I guess sellers come up to you and be like, "Oh, this is actually really cool for us." When you didn't even you know design the 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 basis of the model to benefit them uh, initially, so to say. Um, yeah, I'm glad they're happy. Yeah, about it. like, it's really you're glad they're happy about, about it, but like, like you know, it's a first for everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So I mean, like, with that being said, like. You guys have been in, in operation for a few years now, um, and obviously you guys would have done a whole bunch of different changes and tweaks to the model, to the business, to you know the landing page, to how you're talking to customers. Um, in, in your perspective, um, you know, being at Empire Flippers, what's been the most effective implementation um, that you guys have found uh, in securing, uh, and this is a big question, is securing trust online between a buyer and seller um, what what's the biggest implementation that you've done to improve that um transparency no question like and i'll explain what that means but yeah uh you know from from the day we started right like we in our previous businesses and kind of previous business experience working for other companies joe and i were both kind of we bought into the model that you know if you've got something working you don't tell anyone if it's working well you got a business going you just quietly you know, keep uh, keep raining the cash down, keep keep the business going, scale as much as you can, and don't tell anyone about it. Be, you know, be secretive, and you know, that's how we operated. And so, with with the business we have now, Empire Flippers, we flipped the script on that and said, look, let's try something else. I mean, it feels better to just say, look, here's exactly where we're at. Like, just be 
perfectly honest about where we're at. And if, if that discourages some people, great. If it encourages others, great. But we'll be getting the customers that kind of like that approach. And those are the people we want to talk to. And so we just said, look, this is exactly how we, we build the, the sites we were building back when we used to build sites ourselves. Yeah. Um, this is exactly uh, where we're coming from and how we do business. This is who we want to work with. This is who's not a good fit for us. And we're just very clear. We, we did, uh, we've done quarterly reports for many years now talking about the money we brought in. Um, you know, we were talking about 26 million. That's, that's in total sales. We generally, we charge 15% uh, success fee on the businesses. So we end up with 15% of that money. we kind of like break down exactly uh, how that money comes in and, uh, what of it we keep that kind of thing so we you know, we've talked we've done this for years and what it's done is it's really attracted customers that that appreciate the way we do business that like the way we do business um and that are kind of aligned with us um part of that is doing a podcast and and you know this as, as hosting a podcast but yeah when people are listening listening to you in their earbuds like they get a feel for how you do business you can't you can't BS your way through that. I mean, maybe you can for a bit. I mean, I could probably do it for one episode. But, you know, we got 150, 160 something podcast episodes. I have another show that I do. I've done a ton of interviews. And ultimately, you're, you listen to a few of those and you're going to get a really good sense for who I am and how I do business. I mean, there's no way around that. So that's a great way for you to find your tribe, your customers, and the people that like the way you do business. And so being transparent and then I think, uh, doing a podcast, doing podcast interviews has been tremendously successful for our business. Okay. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that. I think podcasts is, it's sort of the booming thing, even in Australia right now, um, on radio, we actually, it's funny mentioning it on radio, but um, on radio, we have advertisements for podcast competitions to find Australia's best podcaster at the moment. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, which is amazing because it's, it's actually being run off of a free-to-air public radio station. Um, to move into digital. So I think having that trust and sincerity, not just online, but just, you're right, you know, having, having someone, you know, tell you what, you know, what, what truth and transparency is rather than just reading it on, on a page makes, you know, worlds of difference there. Um, and, and speaking, think about yeah. this, Marcus, we get people, we get people that, that my, and my business partner, I'm on the marketing kind of operational customer service mm -hmm. side, my business partner's on the sales side, but he'll get on a phone call with someone who's listened to more than a dozen episodes with him on the show. Right? Yeah. Um, and he'll go on the phone with them and they're like, look, oh, Joe, it's so great to talk to you. By the way, love your podcast, blah, blah. And then there's no, there's no question of like trying to build, you know, uh, trust. Like they already know, like, and trust us. Right. So look, look, Joe, I love the way you operate. I want to, I want to do a buy a business from you. Not really sure what I should get here. Are kind of my requirements. Here's what I'm good at. What do you think? And so like, you know, there's no, trying to you know build social proof with him or explain who we are he knows who we are it's it's effectively just trying to match him with a business that kind of meets his interests and skill sets so that's a hell of a lot easier proposition than trying to sell them on no, no look i promise we're legit here's our yeah. stuff like we, we have to do it over the phone from you know half a world away it makes it a bit more challenging than if they already know and have selected you. Yeah, no, that makes a, it does make a world of difference with trust. Um, and the, I mean, the big thing that you guys do is evaluate website values. And I think, you know, a lot of trust goes into that, especially 
off something that's i mean software based initially but then you actually go through and actually curate and comb through um i think that's you know in most businesses that's sort of a service methodology that i think everybody wants to get to to a point right where they have a self-sustainable you know self-service management system where people can just automatically buy on their own but you know to a deeper degree when they want to invest in something that's a lot bigger or, you know and and worth a lot more um you know that they actually have someone there that they can you know immediately have a sense of trust with um and i think building that authority through podcasts through content online definitely makes that big big difference um which is what i loved about you know you guys having i think you guys did the last one was uh was it wait but why Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was great. I, I'm a huge fan of his blog. I'm a huge fan. So, yeah, getting him on the show was just Yeah, awesome. I mean, like, getting him on the show would have been amazing, it's particularly at the point where he's just, you know, had Elon Musk on the phone. So, you know, it's yeah, bloody right. brilliant, I'll say that. Um, but that being said, um, you know, when you guys are evaluating, you know, the value of a website, you know, how do you dictate what the vital signs are in evaluating what the price is is roughly going to be um, considering, and this is a big thing too, because obviously this is this is a digital landmark. It's not a physical landmark, so to say. Um, but how do you take those vital signs, understand what the vital signs are, and not mistake them as a vanity metric? Yeah. So uh, you know, there's two different things. Like you know, there are businesses that deal with like domains, right, which yeah. are have really no earnings or whatever, and are, in our opinion, highly speculative. But that's that's not a space that we're in. Like, yeah. We don't deal with that. We're dealing traditionally with actual online businesses. Now, sometimes those are, you know, you know, the the, the front for those is a website. Sometimes it's an FBA business, for example, where it makes money online, doesn't have necessarily a website attached. Yeah. So there's all different types of online businesses, but um, sometimes it's a website, sometimes it's not. Um, but primarily how those are valued is on some multiple of their earnings. So, you know, this isn't the valley um, you know, we're not the next, you know, we're not dealing with the next Twitter. We're not dealing with the next Facebook. I mean, God bless them. Those are, you know, amazing companies, but most of us aren't building the next Twitter, the, fa the next Facebook. We're building, you know, an $80,000 website. We're building a $600,000 service-based businesses. You know, we're building a $1.8 million uh, Amazon FBA business, right? So yeah. those are the types of businesses we're building, not the, you know, $50 billion Facebook, whatever. So, you know, they get crazy multiples in the valley, but the rest of us, which is 98% of us, we're going to be selling our businesses based on a multiple of profit. And so how that generally works is uh, we'll look at the last 12 months of earnings. Let's say that you have an e-commerce business. You're making, you know, $30,000 a month. You have a 33% profit margin, meaning you're making $10,000 a month on average. Now, Christmas is higher, obviously, maybe June is lower but 10,000 bucks a month in profit on average over the last 12 months, we'll take that and multiply it by a multiple. So that's generally somewhere between 20X yep. and 40X, right? So if it's 10,000 a month, you'll, your business will generally be worth somewhere between 20, uh, well, 10,000 be $200,000 and $400,000 depending. Now, markets are gonna say, well, that's a ridiculously large range. I'd like to know if I'm getting 200 or 400, it makes yeah. a big difference to me. Um, and so a lot of things go into that, right? How long the business has been around, what the trajectory is like, how stable are your monetization methods, how stable is your traffic, how scalable is your business, how, how much work is required from you versus people and process that you have in place. So there's a lot of these factors that will go into determining what that multiple 
is. Um, I'd say if you're looking for kind of a general range um, for e for AdSense, Amazon type sites, you're probably looking between 24 and 32 on average. Uh, for e-commerce, uh, in general, you're probably looking at around the same range. For SaaS businesses, you're probably looking more in like the, you know, 28 to 40x and up uh, range. So it's gonna depend by monetization, but most importantly, what the business looks like. Um, one of the things sellers get wrong all the time, and and we have to be the bearer of bad news on this, is they think, you know, I invested all this money in the technology. I invested $200,000 in this business. It's worth whatever it's worth. It's worth that plus two hundred thousand because I'm going to get my two hundred thousand back, right? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, if your business isn't making anything, you built this startup that failed to launch, and you put two hundred thousand in. I'm sorry to tell you, that's a waste of two hundred thousand dollars. No one wants, to, no buyer wants to pay you back for your mistake, right? So yeah. that's that's kind of the bad news. There is is we're stuck, particularly with kind of the you know the silicon valley entrepreneurs right and they're like look i put all this money into it it could crush it in the hands of the right person we're like that sounds awesome why don't you partner with that person or do it yourself get it earning profit and then we can base it on a multiple of, of net profit so you know that's unfortunately we're just not able to do businesses that aren't are earning or aren't profitable that's not going to work for us yeah i think it's 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 pretty eye-opening when you go through and, and tell someone you've basically just misinvested $200,000 into software that doesn't work. Um, Sucks. Oh, yeah. And people want, <laughs> they want money for social followers too, right? They're like, look, I, I think my business should be worth more than a multiple of net profit because I've got 100,000 Twitter followers or whatever. Yeah. Well, they may or they may or may not, probably they are aware, um, but there are places you can go and just buy a gazillion fake Twitter followers. So like adding on to your multiple heavily for your social media following that may or may not actually care about what you're saying on social media is not that impressive. So you're not going to get a huge value add from your gazillion Facebook likes that you paid, you know, a penny per, a penny per like for. Like that's just not going to It's not going to happen. Not yeah. going to happen. So I have a really big question for you then. Um on, on the basis of saying, you know, like, you know, telling someone that their $200,000 software that they're invested in, you know, basically sucks. Um, the big question is, as a digital business going through an exit strategy or planning an exit strategy, how do they actually maintain the maximum amount of return as possible based on that? So there are two big factors, right? One is the net profit. Uh, that it's earning, and that's generally over the last 12 months. We'll, we'll cut that down to six months, by the way, if it's like heavily growing, like mm -hmm. if where it was 12 months ago is barely where it's at now, or if it's heavily declining, if it was earning a lot more previously and in the last six months it hasn't been, uh, but normally we want 12 months. So if we're looking at 12 months net profit, you should start thinking about your business at least 12 months out, right? So if you're gonna planning to potentially exit, you need to start thinking about that because there are things you can do over the next 12 months to, to really maximize your margin, right? Your margin and ultimately your net profit. So cutting out, let's say, exploratory marketing spend, things that are not delivering an ROI, but as you know this, like there yeah. are, sometimes you're just testing marketing channels and it's- There's it no return, like, yeah, you, you just yeah. cut it. But, but you got the ones that are working. It's better to, to cut that spend and reinvest that money into the profitable, the things you're getting ROI on. Um, it's good to, uh, cut costs that are not necessary. It's good to add people uh, where needed to help grow the business uh, or to help automate, to get um, the amount of hours you're putting into the business out. Um, 
And it sounds counterintuitive because it may hurt the profit, but it will make your business more sellable. If you're putting in 30 hours a week and the business makes three, $4,000 a month, right? Having it drop to like two grand a month because you had to put some you know, virtual assistant center or something, but, but cutting you to five hours a week can be super valuable in that it makes your business sellable, whereas it wasn't sellable before. Um, so starting to think about how you can improve that net profit 12 months out is really important. The next thing to do is, is to have all of the other things, which we didn't really get into in the show, but we talk about you know, at empireflubberos.com, um, but having those things work. So a trajectory that's positive. You're earning more every month or every quarter than you were the previous month or quarter. Um, having diversified traffic channels, uh, having solid monetization uh, methods in place, um, having people in process uh, in there that keeps you from putting a ton of manual work into the business. So all these different things that improve the multiple. So basically maximize your net profit over the 12 months before you list and sell your business, and then doing all the additional things that will improve your multiple and get you to the higher end of that range. Okay. Do you think it's um, viable for someone to actually perpetually build let, let's say for instance uh you know I, i'm a I, i've got money to spend right so do you think it's viable for me as a person to then basically build like you know 10 20 amazon fba websites or dropship um websites or e-commerce sites you know build them up and basically after 12 months start to sell and restart as a profitable uh, absolutely yeah? yep we have sellers that do that right now. Um, you can do it multiple ways. Like we have uh, one guy uh, that I know, um, known for years, and he'll build maybe somewhere between a dozen, two dozen sites a year. And they're traditionally Amazon Associate sites, um, maybe some AdSense sites, but traditionally Amazon Associates. And he'll kind of build them up and sell them between you know, when they're like 18 to 36 months old. And so he's been doing this for years. And so he's at the point now where last year, year and a half or so, he's been selling them off. And he continues to sell them off maybe a dozen a year or so uh, with us. And so that's kind of his process. He makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a year doing that, um, continues to start them again from scratch. And, and, you know, it takes a year and a half to three year process, but he's constantly has them in the pipeline, right? He just yeah. pump, keeps pumping them out and then selling them when they rise to the top. Uh, there's another group, there's a partnership where they do only a couple of businesses a year. They'll do like three or four, um, but they tend to sell for quite a bit more. So, you know, whereas the, the first guy was doing, I and mean, he'd sell his sites from somewhere between 20 and maybe 80 to $100,000 uh, per site, maybe, maybe, maybe 20 to 60. Um, these other guys will sell maybe kind of like 80 on the low end up to like $300,000. Um, and they, they have some that fail to like to, to work out or they're just, you know, they're not, not worth selling, but then the ones that are a win are $200,000, $250,000. So they make, you know, half a million a, a year for the last year and a half, almost two years um, by doing this. And they do their three to four sites a year, put quite a bit of time, effort, and energy into each one but get each one of them up to you know a sellable amount that's that's you know high five figures to low to mid six figures okay cool yeah i think that was um the last question for our, our time unfortunately because you know i know I've, I've only sort of got the uh, limited time with you and your busy schedule and uh you know managing everybody abroad so um actually before you before i let you go um the valuation tool itself so was that uh, over on the empireflippers.com main website? Yeah, so we, we have a valuation tool. It's an automated tool um, that based on your inputs, your earnings and everything, will give you a multiple range. I told you there are two things you know, a business valued on. 
uh, both how much it earns and then that's multiplied by a multiple. Um, so what it will do is based on your inputs, it'll give you a range. So let's say you have an FBA business that's making $10,000 a month in that profit, it'll tell you based on your inputs, let's say it was like 26X to 30X. So to give you a value of somewhere between 260 and $300,000, you say, well, Justin, that's not specific enough. Well, that's just, that's a kind of a rough estimate. After you actually submit your business for sale with us and to get it listed, we're gonna go through the process of kind of fine tuning that. So we'll give you an exact multiple, tell you, okay, in that range, it's on the 26X side or it's on the 29X side based on these factors. So we kind of narrow it down, but it, it's actually a tool that we use to list price and sell businesses on our marketplace. Um, and it's free to use. Uh, you can check it out, empireflippers.com slash valuation dash tool. Okay, great. Thank you very much for your time today, Justin. I really appreciate you taking um, you know, time out of your day to, to talk through about what Empire Flippers is doing, you know, managing abroad. I think, you know, living the digital nomad lifestyle is, you know, like I said, something we all dream of. So it's good to see someone's actually doing it, you know, live and to be able to talk to you in person about it too. So, um, you know, really thank you for your time. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's all we have time for today. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus.